0: We are here. We're here because of your Son. We're here to celebrate the gift of your Son, the Advent, the coming of your Son. And I'm asking you that you would just, right now, just activate the the miracle of the gift of preaching and that your Holy Spirit would just enable me to exalt Jesus Christ correctly and clearly with power and that minds and hearts would understand and receive embrace and apply the truth of Jesus as you want them to. It is in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is great at Christmas Eve services. The kids are part of that. Glad that they're here. We had a truckload last service. Almost didn't fit everybody in here, but it was great. Let me just tell you, if your kids get tired of hearing me and they need to move around a little bit, we do have an overflow room across the hallway in the fireside room. Uh, The audio of what's taking place in here will be pumped into there. Then there's tables set up. Uh, coloring for the kids to do, and you can sit in there if you'd like, with them. As we begin, let me just, as has already been done in the kids' story, now it's time for the adult story. let me just reinforce the great miracle of Christmas. Remind us of why we're here. We're here because of the God of glory. God of all power, the eternal God. He left heaven and he entered into the human reality. He married a human nature with his divine nature. So that the child that was born and the child that was placed in an animal feeding trough was the king of eternity. And we're here because of that event. And what I want to do this morning is I want to approach the life of Jesus in an attempt to just show you a little fraction of the incomparable impact of his life upon this world. And the way that I want to do that is I want to ask a question, a question that is taken from a statement that Jesus made, not a complete statement. Just, I'm just going to pull out a few words out of one statement that Jesus made in John chapter 15, verse 22. And then we're going to just use that to speculate, to ask a question that I'm going to reflect upon and give you some answers to. Jesus said in John 15, if I had not come, the question I want us to contemplate is this, what would the world be like if Jesus had not come? What would the world be like? What I want to do is I want to show you as we ask that question, just three gifts that the incomparable Jesus Christ gave to humanity. These are not the only gifts. I'm, I'm not even saying that they're the greatest. I, I'm convinced the third one is but that I'll tell you about, but there are a lot of gifts that he gave. But I just want to highlight three to show you how this child that was born to a teenage peasant girl and placed in an animal feeding trough, how that child became a man and radically forever changed human history. Here's the first aspect of the question. If Jesus had not come, what value would we place on human life? What value would the world place on human life? And you see, one of the ways that we can get an answer to that is to ask the question, what value did the world place on human life when he came the first time? What was the mindset toward the sanctity, and the inherent value of human life when Jesus came 2,000 years ago? Here's a part of the answer. Three-fifths of the world was in slavery when Jesus came. You heard that right. Three-fifths of the world was in slavery. The agora, the Marketplace of the ancient world where goods were sold and bartered. The common staple commodity in the agora was human life, the trafficking of human life, where slaves were sold and bought, where they had no rights of their own, but they lived at the whim of their masters and were. Abused and mistreated and used just according to the master's desires. Three fifths of the world. Then came Jesus. Child born in a manger. And from the generation forward, here's what's happened. You can probably just think through what you know of history, that in cultures in which the Christian message has taken hold and established a beachhead as its influence, the influence of the message of Jesus has risen. There has been a corresponding decline in slavery in those cultures. That when the truth of Jesus Christ is deeply embraced in a culture that there is freedom given to those who are saved, spiritual freedom, and there is physical freedom given to the slaves. It's just a reality. Although Christianity unapologetically identifies the depraved nature of the human heart, it also highlights the sanctity in the inherent value of every human life because they're created in the image of God. And the influence of Jesus Christ in that way continues to spread throughout the world. Here's another aspect to the value of life. Consider the station of children and women when Jesus came the first time. Children were tolerated and burdensome and at times expendable. Then came the infant snuggled up in the manger. And that infant became the man who said, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. That child became the teacher who took the child and stood him amongst them and said, unless your faith becomes like one of these right here, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What about women? Women were on basically in the era when Jesus was born, they were on a, level scale with cattle. And Jesus Christ and his influence has done something incredible. Did you know that Jesus, not one time, we have not one record of Jesus Christ ever speaking a harsh word to a woman. Not one time. He had plenty harsh words for men. Think about some of the encounters. Think about the woman of ill repute that came and worshipped at his feet. When others complained and accused, Jesus praised her. Think about the woman. We'll talk a little bit more about this later, but. Think about the woman that was cast before him in her adulterous shame and how he ministered to her. Think about what the Christian message says to husbands. Christian message correctly, let me qualify that. The Christian message correctly understood. Think about what it says to husbands that they are to love and care for and protect and lead. And be sacrificial and selfless in their love for their wife. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus, heard in the story that God called highly favored. It was the women who worshiped and Jesus or the woman who mourned Jesus coming to the tomb that the resurrected Lord first revealed himself. I mean, folks, simply put, Jesus Christ is the greatest, greatest champion of history of the dignity of womanhood. And where his message and his influence rise in a culture, it becomes like a tide that brings with it the dignity and the virtues of women. Here's the gift, first gift I'm highlighting. That Jesus Christ became the great champion of the value of human life, the dignity of women, and the blessing of children. And that influence is gaining and growing today. Second question If Jesus had not come what would we know of God What would we know of God World into which Jesus was born was a world steeped in paganism it was a dark world it was a world into which there was almost no accurate knowledge of God Think about the greatest men of the ancient world, the greatest thinkers. I quoted one of these yesterday. I'm going to quote another one today. Socrates. The great thinker. The pious man. He was seeking out God. Listen to what he said crying out in the dark world of his day. We look for a God or a God-inspired man who will teach us our duty and help us to live as we ought. And he was crying out for that because he did not have that, nor did anyone of his culture. It was a dark world. there was a pocket of people, the Jews, who knew of God because God had revealed himself, revealed himself through prophets down through uh, many dealings down through hundreds of years of history to tell this group of people, the Jewish people, of himself. He had given them many names to call him, each name giving some aspect, highlighting some aspect of his divine nature, and yet, even though they had this revelation given to them from God, they still misunderstood and perverted it. And they saw God as a God who needed to be fearfully obeyed, not wonderfully enjoyed. A God of a long list of rules that he was concerned about instead of a God who longed for intimate relationship with us. Then came Jesus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about the revelation of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The Son is the radiance of the glory of God, listen, and the exact imprint of His nature. The Son is the exact imprint of the very nature of God. Folks, you know what that means? That means He's God. It means He's God. You see, in Jesus Christ, we have a God that we can know. In Jesus Christ, we have a God in human flesh who came to reveal himself to us so that he could be known. Let me just give you a few different realities about what Jesus taught us concerning God. Thoughts that we in the world had not yet understood because The revelation was confused. Jesus Christ revealed the fatherhood of God. He revealed the fatherhood of God. He revealed God as a father of reckless love. Just let me give you one story. This might be one of the most famous stories ever spoken. It's called The Story of the Prodigal Son. Unfortunate title. Unfortunate title. It is, the story does include the dealings of a son that is wayward and his reckless abandon into the depths of sin. But that's only a setup for the bigger story. Do you remember the setup? Two sons, the younger, asks the father for his share of the family's inheritance. The father gives it to the son. The son takes the family's money and he goes to a distant country and there in reckless abandon, dives into the depths of sin and squanders the funds. That's secondary. This is central. There's the father standing at the gate. The lines of his face indicating a broken heart and his eyes scanning the horizon. Eyes that long to see the sun, arms that ache to embrace the sun. There he stands. I love this unspoken yet implied aspect in the story. Do you know who saw the son first? It was the father. He saw on the horizon his son returning and in the moment of recognition his hand threw open the gate and his feet flew down the road and a shout of joy flew from his lips as he ran the race of his life in sandals and tunic, the folds of his patriarchal robe flowing in the wind as he kicked up a trail of dust to get to his son of reckless sin so that he could throw arms of reckless love Around him. Jesus taught us that about the Father because he came to reveal the Father. We would not have known that if Jesus had not come. Secondly, Jesus taught us that God is a friend of sinners. Another story. The religious leaders, those who were to know God the best, who studied His law continually and brought a woman they had caught in an adulterous union and cast her before Him in the public arena in open shame. Oh, folks, this is a critical moment. This is a critical moment. Here's why. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. And we're going to find out what the Father thinks right now, who the Father is right now. What did Jesus do? I see in that story three incredible things that he did. The first thing that he did was he covered her shame. Here's how he did that. He asked a probing question or made a probing statement. You who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he began to write in the sand. And I'm not exactly sure what took place in that moment, but here's what I know the thoughts and the hearts and the consciences of those that were standing there in their blatant, pious condemnation began to be cut. And they began to leave. And the story tells us, beginning with the oldest, then down to the youngest until they were all gone. And her public shame covered and she stood there or maybe laid there on the dirty road alone with Jesus the only one righteous and worthy of condemning her but instead he covered her shame and then secondly he extended grace he said I don't condemn you and then he called her to holiness he said go and leave your life of sin see, when Jesus walked the shores of Palestine, after he'd ministered for a period of time, the crowds had a title for him. We're told that in Luke chapter 7 verse 34. Here's what he became publicly known as, the friend of sinners. Jesus He who is the exact imprint of the Father's nature was known publicly as the friend of sinners. Folks, Jesus revealed to us that Father God is the friend of sinners. And then thirdly, Jesus revealed that God is a God of compassion for the needy because he who was the exact imprint of the Father's nature when he was walking in the crowds, people thronged around him over the tumult he heard. The pleading cry of the blind man calling out for mercy. And he halted the procession and made his way to the needy and gave sight to the blind. We're told of another story where there was a woman who had come to the end of her rope. She had spent all that she had trying to find a cure for her illness, but had expended her resources and had nowhere else to turn. But she thought to herself, oh, if I could just somehow, if I could just make my way through the crowd and get to Jesus and just touch the edge of his robe, I know I could be healed. We don't know how she did that, but somehow she did. And when she touched the fringe of his robe, Jesus, who had people pressing against him from all sides, recognized the touch, stopped, responded to the woman, and that for which she hoped for became hers. see in the person of Jesus Christ, he who is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, we see a God of compassion who cares for the needy. So here's a summary of the gift, second gift. Jesus revealed God as the Father, the friend of sinners, and the God of compassion. Let me give you one more. Here's the question If Jesus did not come, what would we do with our sin? What would we do with our sin? Our one great need is a relationship with God. And our one great problem is that sin severs that relationship so that we cannot fellowship with a God of holiness and a God of righteousness. And what men attempted to do in ancient history and some still do today, tried to find a way to take care of the sin. The guilt to their conscience, sometimes offering brutal sacrifices, at times cutting themselves, beating themselves, punishing themselves, what they were trying to do was what was atone for sin, atonement means to to make Two things, a God and man that are estranged and bring them into a right relationship, a close relationship by removing what separates. Mankind had tried down through history to atone for their own sins, but miserably failed. But then came Jesus. Then came the child that grew to become the man so that he who laid in the manger could be laid on the cross. That's why he came. The cross was in his sights when he stepped down from the throne of heaven to become the child. So that now, the sinner, the vile, the wretched, the depraved, can find at the cross of Jesus Christ a full and sufficient sacrifice that has taken care of sin. So that if they put their trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, they will find their sins atoned for. Jesus is the only way because he is the only sufficient sacrifice. It takes care of that which separates us from God making atonement so that we can come into a right relationship. Let me close with this. Man, mankind is really concerned with three great words. Life, death, and eternity. Life, death, and eternity. Jesus Christ is the one answer, the one definitive, authoritative, clarifying and satisfying answer to all three of those words. Life. When trials come and storms hit and health fails, look to Jesus. Jesus Christ, you said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I Have overcome the world. What about death and eternity? When you stand before the dark door of death. You can be assured. That Jesus has walked through that door. And he's on the other side. Gloriously alive. Here's what he said in Revelations. Here's what the resurrected Lord said in Revelations. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. You see, when you place your faith in the one who has conquered death, the power of death is broken for you. And you can come to death's door And instead of walking through in fear, you can leap over in victory into glory. You see, he's the answer for death and eternity. Here's what the New Testament says. Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here's the gift. Jesus atoned for sin so that he could give eternal life to all who trust in him. That's why the child came to the manger. That's why God left heaven and entered into human flesh. He is looking and longing to save. He is offering Salvation. He's offering that right now to you tonight. If you have not been saved, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, surrendered your life to Him based upon who He is, the God-man, and what He did, came to die and rose again to give victory. You see, all of history... The story that I've been talking to you about is that Jesus Christ is the incomparable life. I just gave you three aspects of how He so radically transformed and and is transforming human history. Oh, there's so many more that we could talk about. But here's the truth. All of history is moving toward a culminating moment. And do you know what that culminating moment is? It's his second coming. It's his second coming. And at his second coming, what's going to happen is that the destiny of every human being is going to be settled. Heaven or hell? Are you ready? Ready? the way that you get ready for his second coming is that you understand who he was at his first coming and what he did, why he came and what he did when he came to atone for sin and to rise again to give us hope for eternal life. Would you please stand? We're going to pray. And I just, I just encourage you. I encourage you, if you long to be saved by the one who the angel said to Joseph, name him Jesus, because Jesus will save his people from their sin. You can cry out to Jesus, the God-man who has paid the sacrifice and is offering to atone for your sins today. Let's pray. Thank you. Oh God, thank you. God the Father, thank you for sending your Son. God the Son, thank you for coming, for living, dying, and rising again. And God the Holy Spirit, right now, would you plant the truth of the Son deeply in every heart so that it takes root and grows up to eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.